building, building a Bethel. We're, we're concluding our series through Genesis this morning with Genesis chapters 34 through to 36. It doesn't complete Genesis, but it does complete a journey, a kind of a phase. Naomi, can you sit down, please? Yeah. <laughs> Bless you, sister. Uh, how many weeks now? Two weeks. Two weeks till she's Mrs. Mrs. Andrew. We're praying for you, sister. Um, building a Bethel. I I really have to thank Garth this morning. It's a shame he's not here. Thanks a lot, Garth, for giving me these three chapters at the end of the series. You know, when he rang up at the beginning of the year and said, look, we've got you down for these dates. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds terrific. When you get to it. Chapter 34 is a particularly nasty incident in Old Testament history. Chapter 35, Rebecca's nurse Deborah dies. Jacob's wife Rachel dies in childbirth with Benjamin. Reuben had an affair with one of Jacob's concubines and Jacob's father Isaac dies. So that's a real terrific, uplifting Sunday morning preach just there. And then 36, to cap it all off, is a genealogy. Don't you love those genealogies? Those endless, unpronounceable names. Thanks, Garth. Thanks a lot. But I love the challenge of the word because no matter what it is, you dig into it and it just keeps opening up and opening up and the big challenge is to actually deal with these chapters before morning tea time. Intro to Genesis 34. Now Jacob had lived in Shechem for some years. You might recall before David Wilson came in May, you know, Jacob had just reconciled with Esau and he said he was going to meet him but he actually went into Shechem and he wound up actually being there it would seem uh, for many years great place to live the city had lots of amenities it was a pretty well sorted city it was a comfortable place to be maybe too comfortable for, for Jacob maybe he kind of procrastinated in the end you know, in terms of when he should fulfil what he had said, not only to, to Esau, but, but also to, he had vowed to the father. Um, guess what though, Jacob? Real life being what it is, have you guys realised that there's actually no such thing as easy street when it's all said and done? You get through one stressful incident, you, you, you make some kind of victory, you overcome something, and then pretty soon something else comes along. Maybe it, everything goes quiet for a while and you're cruising and maybe you take your eyes off the ball a little bit, you know, how we, how we can do that and we're kind of not really expecting the next challenge or even attack that's around the corner. And Jacob might have been doing okay but his family, whoa! Yeah, it was amazing how in a few short years how quickly they had degenerated into embracing pagan and heathen ways and, and, and the lifestyle and the attitudes of those around them. Let's read. We're building a Bethel this morning from verse 1 of 34. Now Dina, the daughter of Leah, that, that Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. 
when Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, now I'm going to pronounce the words as best I can, okay? Um, it helps me to say them the way I'm saying them. You might say them differently. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. His heart, however, was drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. When it came to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and and responding to this kind of defilement, um, the brothers actually bought in with the father apparently. So it wasn't just a matter of Jacob acting as as the father. So he kind of waited for them to come back. Then, verse 6, Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Now, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they had heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dina's father and brothers, Let me find favour in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like and I'll pay whatever you ask me, only give me this girl as my wife. Because they're... they're, I'll, I'll pause there. So... Apparently this kind of wasn't unusual in, in the culture of the day, you know. Um, so there were, Shechem and, and Hamor, his, his dad, were kind of responding to Jacob and his family and actually making a proposition about uh, not only dealing with Dina and, and moving forward in, in this, in this uh, tragic affair, really, um, but, but also... Uh, Establishing an alliance, really, and, and settling in the land for good, you know. Um, John 16:33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Reality check number one for this morning. Yes, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. This is where that peace that passes all understanding is so useful in our everyday living. It's, it, it's a peace that comes from beyond this world. It's, it's not of this world. It's of the Lord. It's, it's not determined by earthly factors or, or personal or material circumstances. It's beyond. That's why it's so hard to get, hard to understand. This kind of impartation of of even, let's push it a bit further and call it the shalom peace, you, you know, of the Lord, that, that sense of peace that brings blessing and well-being uh, to your life. How, how, how is Jacob dealing with this? Let's go to verse 13 of 34 of Genesis. Because their sister Dina had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully, as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. 
Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. Verse 19. The young man who was the most honoured of all his father's household lost no time in doing what they said. He was the first, he was the most honoured in the household. He had to go ahead and do this thing first. He had to lead by example. He he lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So there's more going on here, isn't there? So Hamor in verse 20 and his son Shechem went out to the gate of their city to speak to their fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours, but the men will consent to live with us as one people only on one condition that our males are circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property and all their other animals become ours? So let us give our consent to them and they will settle among us. Verse 24. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem and every male in the city was circumcised. Now the interesting thing about this proposal and and as you'll note that the, the sons of Jacob replied deceitfully. They were acting deceptively about this whole thing and suggesting that they that effectively uh, the Shechemites embrace, uh, I, I guess, what we might be called Judaism to come, but, but become as the Israelites, to take on the mark of circumcision. And they were acting deceptively. Hamor's proposal, had it been acted on, however, would have led to the loss of the whole point of the revelation of God to Abraham and through his offspring to the whole world. The salvation message of God. He had set apart these people. He had chosen them from the beginning and, and, and chose them to carry his word, carry his prophecy, carry his revelation to the whole world, carry the message that the Messiah is coming. And all of that, he set them apart for that. And had they intermarried and had they kind of joined in with the Shechemites and decided that this is a pretty good deal, After all, Jacob was enjoying living there. What would happen to them? What what of their distinctive people calling the nation of Israel that was to come? What would have happened to that had they actually gone ahead and decided that this was where they would settle? That this place and this people they would intermingle with, marry each other's children, become each other's people. Mm. What happens next is shocking. It's truly shocking, even for the old blood and guts Old Testament. Let's read it, verse 25. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, these are the the men of Shechem, um, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and left. The rest of the sons, we could say in brackets, of Jacob, came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. 
They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, well, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Isn't that so typical? Way back at the very beginning of Genesis. You know, well, it was that woman you gave me, says Adam to God. And, and, and Eve said, well, it was that serpent, you know. Any justification for our sin, isn't it amazing what we'll do? And look at the horror in our world today and the terrorism that smites and strikes the innocent, what we used to call the innocent. <laughs> Everybody's fair game. And what we do we do to justify it is, well, they are a Guinness. They don't like the colour of our hair. They don't like our traditions or they're in the way. God has told me to do this thing. Whatever we can do to justify what surely within even our own um, seared consciences be declaring it is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong. Otherwise, why justify it at all? They've got to come back with a reason. Oh, of course, yes. Look what they did to Dina. Yes, it was terrible. And yes, it was horrid even to them within their culture. This should not have been done, says the end of verse 7. How does that possibly justify what the sons of Jacob did? How dare they use this covenant... Mark that God had given them as a setup. How dare they go to these people and say, You can become one of us, you just need to be circumcised. And use that, that expression of the covenant of God. This is what God made with his people, the very essence of God's chosen. He set them apart and the ties that existed between God and Abraham and God and his people were expressed specifically through circumcision. It overruled all other laws. You could still circumcise on the Sabbath. No other, nothing else you could do on the Sabbath, but you could still circumcise on the, what was it, the seventh, eighth day? Eighth day. Even during World War II, they continued to circumcise their children in the heart of Nazi Germany, even though the mark would lead possibly and probably to their death. It was non-negotiable. It was God's people. He was set them apart. They were marked. And they used this to set up these people, apart from the failure, initial failure of, Je- of Shechem. They came with all honour, the best of the honour that, that that community could bring, the culture would bring, and say, look, he actually loves this woman and he wants to set up, let's bind ourselves together, an honourable thing to offer and suggest. They didn't say, look, we are, we are set apart for God's purpose, a holy purpose, and he's leading us into the, his chosen, his promised land and, and he has a purpose for us. <laughs> they offered them. Why didn't they just put a bride price? It's terrible. When, when you, you contemplate, you know, and it bears out a human reality left to our own devices. Each generation will go lower than the one before it. 
left to our own devices. You, you know, um, if, if, if we live a lifestyle that is kind of casual with God and we've been raised in a way where, we, where there was deep commitment to God and we kind of find life leading, we live, it's pretty challenging today, isn't it? We live in a 24-7 world. It's not like it was when, when, say, some of us were kids where everything shut down at 12.30 on a Sunday afternoon. There wasn't even any footy on Sunday. You, you know, it was a different world. It was easy for the ebb and flow of the community to, to match the ebb and flow of the life of the, of the church. But now that's no longer the case. The church sits on the fringe of the community. Um, a lot of what it has to say is not listened to, not acknowledged, not recognised, and we let ourselves down too because we behave badly as well. So, so, so then people look anywhere but the church for their salvation, however they may see what that might be. And in our day, there's pressure on us all the time. How do we be in the world and not of the world? How do we, how do we live in the land and not take on board all that the land forces on us, all that our world presses in on us? It's really hard. And if so we, and, and are, we, are we reaping the whirlwind of the winds that we've sown? Perhaps for some of us now in this day and age, it's, it's, really, it's really tough, you know. It doesn't take much for the witness of God within a family to be gone, within a generation. It can be gone. And, and our kids are coming through with our casual framework, perhaps, and so then they set up family and they're a little further away. Again, it only takes a generation. And, and so the challenge, and here's Jacob living well in the land, still living out the moral life and still living out the law and obviously his family was still in there with it all but they, their response was not godly. They're even Old Testament godly. You know, Their response was more a pagan heathen response and just went whack way over the top and took a whole city out, demolished it, destroyed its heart took it away from existence. Where is God in that? That wasn't part of God's purpose when he sent them in later to take over the promised land, to receive the land. Same kind of challenge. Are you going to embed yourself with the world or are you going to remain separate, set apart? To raise the next generation is a challenge that faces us all wherever we sit in the age journey to raise the next generation with the eternal steadfast unchanging wisdom and knowledge of God and bring them back you know to that to that level the next generation come back to where we began our journey come back to you know what it is like for us what it was like for us the whole family bore the brunt of this. They were, a, they were a stench to everybody. So the Lord steps in. He says to Jacob, come back home. Go to that place. Let's read from verse 35. Then God, chapter 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. 
and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns. Divine intervention again. The terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. And Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar And he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Jacob had stayed too long in Shechem. He'd stayed too long far away. Jacob had allowed his whole family to slip away from God. It almost destroyed them. It threatened God's plan for humanity through the people of Israel. But God called him back to his vow in in Genesis 28. And just a reminder, you don't need to turn there, I'll just give you that verse, 28.20, just a few chapters earlier, when Jacob first encountered God there at Bethel in that dream, the stairway to heaven dream, as it's known sometimes. Then Jacob made a vow, verse 20, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me I will give you a tenth. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how close encounters with the living God births generosity a kind of givingness within our hearts you know just who was it Zacchaeus did the same when he came close to the Lord Bethel originally Canaan city of Luz let, let me just read a couple of things here Abram camped in this area this is Bethel the area of Bethel around Bethel when first he entered Canaan in Genesis 12 and again when he as Abraham returned from Egypt and called upon the name of the Lord in Genesis 13 I think I've got that right that he was Abraham by then That's something to fix me up on during coffee. Bethel was the place where Jacob Jacob first met with his God, his stairway to heaven dream. Bethel, El Bethel, where Jacob believed God dwelt, where the Lord reinforced his covenant and plan and gave Jacob a new name, Israel. Let's read it, verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appealed to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I give to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, Jacob, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. And today we're talking about building a Bethel, building our Bethel. Where 
will we settle? Where will we build our place with God? In the years to come, Bethel would figure significantly in the hearts of the people of Israel. It it experienced highs and lows like Israel did. They would go there in times of trouble to seek the Lord when there was no other like a prophet or a king. The Ark of the Covenant was kept at Bethel for a season by the grandson of Aaron, uh, Phinehas. Jacob, come home. Jacob, go to that place where you and I have met where I have blessed you and called you and settle in that place. I was going to actually practice reading the first few verses of chapter 36. There's the women, Esau, he married women of Canaan and he settled in that land. He became the, the people the people of Edom, the Edomites. He had Adar, daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Oholibama, it sounds like somebody's cursing the President of the United States, Oholibama, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite, also Basemath, daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Nabioth. And now I could read all that through you because I've practised it, and I want to show you how kind of on it I was, um, but I'm not going to give Garth the satisfaction. <laughs> but why is it there? Why at this point? Because from this point on, the story changes. It's not so much about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob anymore, but it goes into the story about Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. And here is this whole chapter dedicated to Esau. You know, God proves himself, proves something, displays something about his character. Even though people get it wrong, even though people... um, just crush even perhaps God's best planning for them like Esau just sold his birthright for a bowl of soup virtually you know he gives him the honour of noting down his family line this goes right into the future of the Edomites these names that that scholars say really aren't anybody significant even though there are names that are familiar to us it would be interesting to see um, you know whether these names were in your body but I, from what I gather they're not necessarily but Esau is given the honour of here is his genealogy here is the line of the Edomites even though they were to fight years later with the Israelites here they are here is their moment and he closes this off and he says Esau Esau was Esau Esau went to Canaan Esau married into Canaan Esau became part of Canaan but I'll still honour him because he was still of the line of Abraham he was still the son you know Um, God is so gracious and God is not beyond writing anybody off no matter how badly we behave how foolishly we treat our faith and our journey with God he's always standing ready to step back in and carry us in the journey that he'd have us go. I guess the challenge is in these few minutes. For each of us to build our Bethel, our house of God, in our heart, in our mind, 
continuing to go back to that place where, where we've met with God in the past, where he might have, might have said something significant to us through his word. In our homes, what, what are we allowing? It's really hard. I, you know, parents today, you guys have just such a major job. How do you set a hedge of protection about your family when, when there's so much that just comes in unbidden and unwelcome? How do we raise our kids, you know, um, in such a way that we shield and protect them and nurture their hearts and nurture their spirits? I mean, in Bethel, the family grew in the things of God and the journey was able to be continued, you know. Uh, they were at the point of losing it all in Shechem. And, and so in, in seeking to, to not allow any secret places in our own hearts, what, what idols may we have been building or are building in our own hearts, unwittingly even, apart from the revelation of God, in, in putting time into our time in the Word. Now, I, I, I'd like to just... Lawrence Richards is a, a Bible scholar. He talks about creating a Bethel, a place of refuge, and, and he identifies three things from these verses. The first is a place of worship. The altar was built in chapter 35. A place of worship. The second is a place of God's promise and presence. Those, that's identified in, in verses 9 to 13. I really liked what Lawrence Richards had to say about this. Place of worship... A place of promise and presence. You know, you experience God's promises with, through a sense of his presence. Uh, or you become, when you see God's promises start to come alive to you, you're aware of his presence in your life. And the third thing was a place of remembrance. And this is 14 and 15. Building, building our Bethel. Jacob set up a stone pillar. And every time over those years he looked back and he saw that, he was reminded are there, are there places you can go in your thinking, in your heart? Are there even places you can go physically where you met with God? Where significant milestones in your life occurred? Where you really felt you were heard from God? If you're in the, in the Word, then God will speak. If you're living your life in the Word, then you are building your Bethel. That becomes your house of God. The Bible says we are the, the temple of the living God, doesn't he? So if you are, see yourself as a son or daughter of the living God, that you've given your life to God, uh, you've, you've confessed your sins and sought forgiveness and invited the Lord Jesus Christ who died a, a suffering on, on the cross for us to pay the price for our sins and you've given yourself to him, he indwells you by his Holy Spirit and you become the house of God in that sense. A place of remembrance. The Bethel that we build through worship and worship is essential if we are to find inner peace. Connecting, like today, just being able to join together in worship. At any moment through the day, when we've started our day right, when we've been in Bethel, we can recall through the day what the Lord may have revealed to us that morning. We can go back to Bethel straight away because we've built that place of remembrance. The encouragement of the journey of this couple of chapters for us today is the Lord says to us, go to Bethel and settle there. And how have we managed to do that? You know, that is the place where, from where everything 
flows out as far as God's purpose for each one of us is concerned. That peace that passes all understanding, the wisdom that comes from the light of his word, the balance, the strength, the courage. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we marvel at your word. We marvel at the depth of your word. We, we, we cannot fathom how it is possible for you to weave such power, such wisdom, such love and grace and revelation into pages of written words. Your word stands as divine truth and we thank you that your written word points to your own word, your son, your living word. And thank you, Lord, that this morning we share in the life that can come from him alone. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is is that you would reveal to us your plan, that you would reveal yourself to us powerfully through your word, that you would impart wisdom to us as we seek you. Give us the wisdom to, to discern the right way forward for, for me in my life and for me in my household. Whatever my household may be, at whatever point it may be, Lord, you engage us in a precious, holy, eternal purpose. And we thank you that you can intervene. And so, Lord, we would want to, to live under the shadow of the Almighty forever. Hear the prayers, Lord, and, and as even um, as, as we kneel before you and you reveal perhaps things to us in our lives that we need to lay down, then help us, Lord. Give us the strength and the courage to do so, to, to set ourselves apart and be done with things that might bring us down, that might ultimately bring our family down. Lord, enable us to be your people in the midst of a very tough challenging world yes thank you Lord that through you, through your word through worshipping you, through living your life, through settling our lives in your place, in God's house, you enable us to be in the world and somehow not of it and we will be a light to the nations Lord of your eternal love and grace and mercy and salvation and we want that Declaration and that light to be as pure and as bright as we can make it. Only by your strength can we do this and be this. Hear the heart prayers of each one this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.